welcome to One of Two Hundred, the New Zealand International Politics Podcast. We are joined uh, on this Monday evening uh, by by two guests. Um, some of you will remember Ross, uh, who's who's guested with us a couple of times. Welcome to the podcast this evening, Ross. Kia ora, it's lovely to be back. Uh, Ross is a, works in mental health, um, and if you've followed us previously, um, you'll know that they're also the host of uh, Postingcast. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm a straight man on Postingcast, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only uh, time I'm ever a straight man. <laughs> We're also joined this evening by Wellington teacher Adam Ware. Welcome to the podcast, Adam. Thanks for having me on. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's so just just as some intro um, to our listeners, there's been conversations over the last, I guess, couple of weeks in particular about some of the changes that have become very apparent in regards to the COVID response by the Labour government here. Basically, all the uh, what we call public health measures or, or kind of are often called restrictions have been moved on uh, in, in large chunks um, and a range of, I guess, activities that we'd call riskier, uh, especially that um, we've seen have, have not the greatest results overseas, uh, have now been implemented by our, our government as well. In particular, uh, the, the main thing we wanted to talk about tonight was the decision to keep schools open um, despite uh, not being able to get uh, as full vaccine coverage for students um, mm. as, as we might have been able to. Um, it, was, it was pretty recently that we were able to start vaccinating under 12s uh, and then there are younger children who are at daycare and the like um, who uh, still won't have had the vaccine as well. Uh, so this uh, conversation has originated out of a, um, a Twitter thread that you posted, Adam. Do you want to give us a rundown of, of what you're seeing out there? Uh, sure. Um, I, I guess I'm getting to the point with um, the level of, uh, of shift in the public health response uh, from the Labour government in schools and in society in general that... Uh, starting to be quite concerned for the health and well-being of um, uh, teachers, school staff, students, uh, and young people at home. Um, and uh, the my growing uncertainty and my growing um, sense of impending disaster, I, I think that's fair, um, has kind of provoked me to, to, to put a few threads together. And, and some of the threads that have been getting um, some, some traction are around the shifting public health advice in schools, um, how rapidly the guidance from the Ministry of Education and the Ministry of Health has changed, and um, how particularly the new phase um, system of the traffic light system, the new phases, uh, phase two and phase three, how much they have pulled away the sense of safety in our schools um, and made schools a place where 
I'm not going to say all teachers, but I'm going to say a, a large number, um, a significant number of teachers and of students um, are starting to get concerned about whether they're really that protected under the current guidelines. Um, that's the that's kind of like the background um, for for my uh, my kind of statements and my questions to the public. My uh, I've been I've been approaching the Ministry of Education the best way I can. I'm just a teacher. Um, uh, so Twitter and, and uh, asking my principal are about the best ways for me to get in contact with the ministry. But the response has been um, the response has been silence. Um, and that concerns me hugely. Um, our teaching uh, cohort in New Zealand, for want of a better word, um, pretty educated people, um, pretty conservative people. Um, and I think the, the problem I'm having is um, I want to be, um, need to be convinced. And uh, the lack of um, a real effort from the ministry to convince teachers of the validity of the, the new program, as it were, the, the, the ramifications of the changes, um, that's, that's partly where my big problem is. I mean, the, the, lack of, the lack of real uh, logic and the lack of communications. Um, and they're leaving it in the hands um, of people who are not experts in epidemiology, they're not experts in public health, they're leaving it in the hands of principals who give it a good shot and senior management teams who give it a shot, um, but frankly aren't positioned well to communicate um, the framework. Um, schools have been lumped with the job of making plans to deliver the framework and to put the framework into place. And all of that has, in my mind, um, some pretty risky ramifications um, for both, e well, for the three, you know, ECE, um, primary and secondary. Yeah, thanks for that. I, I think, you know, just to, to touch on one point in particular, the, the form of communication um, and how this has been communicated to teachers and to the public, because... You know, it's, it's one step um, for the Ministry of Education or the Ministry of Health um, and the government in general to advise their schools and their teachers about how this framework needs to be implemented. But it goes so much wider than that. You know, so mm. many, uh, there's so many parents with children at school and there are so many children um, who are having to attend school uh, in these conditions as well without that communication being front-footed. And it's such a change from the last two years of government communication about this. And I think that's one of the things which has been the most disconcerting to me. Mm. No, just it's, it's that emotional whiplash, isn't it? We've had two, two years of, if there was a case in a school, the entire school would be shut down for cleaning and there would be close contacts would be everyone within that class. And, uh, you know, my son has just started school and he's been there four weeks and there's already cases in the school that he goes to and he's still expected to go to school every day. And it's, as you said, it's, it's that sort of piecemeal. It's that very sudden shift from here's a nationwide 
uh, framework that we have here, are the rules that we're going to follow. Everyone's in this together to this real sudden, like I've described it as a heel turn in more ways than one. Like it's a 180, but also it's, it's, it, it feels at times like the government have just decided to embrace the chaos that you've seen in in the uk in the us and other places and just gone for a really vibes-based approach now and it actually makes it sound positive though um embrace the chaos yeah let it yeah. rip you know what yeah. em- embrace the chaos fine if that's the name of like the the hardcore band that you're in in your mid-20s not so good when it's a public health strategy oh, tell me about just, it i mean just my thought you know yeah yeah, I mean, what for me, you know, you, you're talking about your son going off to school. I've got a seven-year-old and a, and a four-year-old, and uh, my seven-year-old has had one jab. Uh, we got her in on the very first day. We're not mucking around, um, and we've still got weeks before um, before second jab is 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 recommended. Um, my four-year-old is in the same school. It's a it's a Montessori. They go the whole way through. And um, there's nothing we can do. There's absolutely nothing we can do to protect her apart from pull her. Mm. So, so it's for me um, as a teacher, as someone who's um, seeing the, the, the frameworks that the country has built up, the systems that the country has built up that we've bought into by and large to see those being pulled out is very much a rug being ripped mm. out and i i think there have been some really interesting decisions um a good example of interesting decisions would have been is the decision to um not delay the the starting of the school year um until um we can get a significant number of the 5 to 12 uh population um vaccinated um we know from overseas experience that children children will pick up COVID wherever, wherever is the easiest avenue for them to pick up COVID is where they're going to get it. And um, I hate to say it, but based on some of the some of the the case numbers in New Zealand right now, particularly the case numbers for children, I'd say one of those vectors that we're seeing here is is the school system. Um, the decision not to delay the school year for me, that's 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 chaos domino number one and um you know what it pushes over next you know becomes you know speeds that up so yeah it's it's a tough one and it's a tough one especially because once you get into school you see how little control teachers have over the over their own security um, within the classroom and within school grounds, and you realise just how um, vulnerable you are to bringing something home to your own children uh, or to your own family. Um, so that's 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 some of the scary stuff that I guess we might talk about. We might talk about soon. Yeah, I remember, you know, end of last year, um, we'd seen. Uh, I, I don't think it was quite Omicron yet, but we'd seen Delta go through the school system in the UK and the US. Um, I think we're starting to see it um, occur in the Australian school system um, just coming into January. And there was a lot of talk online and in media about, you know, some of the mitigations uh, that were available. So in terms of ventilation, um, maybe having classes cycling through so that you have uh, some parts of a class coming in and work, uh, 
doing school from home um, other parts of the week. Um, so with kind of like smaller cohorts of students. Um, and then the vaccination, um, maybe delaying uh, the year uh, so that we'd get a bit of vaccination coverage was another one. And when I started to, the moment that I started to think, uh-oh, uh, was when there was discussion about um, air filters and it turned out we didn't have any. And <laughs> they'd, they'd been ordered and none. some had been ordered. Yeah, none. <laughs> we had none. And like it was yeah. coming up to like um, the beginning of the school year. And Chris Hipkins was on the podium and he was asked about it and he, he said the majority of them are going to arrive in June. Um, and useful, Chris, yeah, real like, useful, yeah. And they'll be I, beyond. They'll be beyond the peak. Yeah, it would. Like it would just be. There's no point to them at that. I mean, except you know, there will be a point because there'll be new variants um, yeah. uh, by that stage. Yeah, we we imagine. Um, not to get oh. too too bleak, but <laughs> yeah, I think you know. Alongside that, there was. Um, you know, talking about resourcing for schools that, that needed it, um, coming up with other ways to do ventilation plans for uh, schools that needed it. And I remember the first thing I thought was, does, do people know what the state of our schools are? That was that was it. That was it for me. So in a former life, I, uh, I worked for the Ministry of Education as a, um, as a senior advisor for my many sins. And uh, part of that, a big part of that job was talking with principals and uh, finding out what, I, I tried to see it as much as possible as a support role. What's, mm. What support could, could the ministry offer, offer principals? And a lot of it was around quality of classrooms and, uh, you know, among the many issues, I'm, I'm sure you can imagine, and we could talk here all night about the support that South Auckland principals and schools need it's a long list and it's it you know it's it's these schools are really on the edge already but the quality of classroom stock and the issues that schools had around freezing cold in the winter bloody hot in the summer no ventilation yep. um you know mold etc you know these this is not a sudden out of context problem is it i mean this is a real it's been years coming yeah Decades come and we're, yep. we have had decades of fucking around and now we're finding out. And the fact that the government's response to this has been, we'll get some ventilators in at some point, but individual teachers, if you can buy your own uh, air filters or stuff, then, then we wish you all the luck in the world. And here are open some surgical windows, <laughs> open, some, open some windows and here are some surgical masks that we got from Kmart. Like, okay, cheers guys. That's uh, it's as with so many other things about COVID and, and we've talked about this in the past and it's, it just, it's taking every single crack in the system and just yanking it as wide yeah. as possible. Yeah. You know, if, if we had modern classrooms with um, decent heat pumps and ventilation, then this would not be as much of an issue. You know, my partner wouldn't be in a classroom with kids who, you know, have been sitting next to positive cases and, and everything else like, but this, this is what we've got to deal with. And once again, the ministry of education is kind of going, eh, I'm sure you'll be fine. Yeah. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, you know, I've been teaching where I am. I've been teaching there for 10 years. When I walked in on day one, there was a uh, plan on the whiteboard in the staff room that was for the rebuild of the school in 2011. Now, so so what came next was the, um, the Christchurch earthquake. Um, no, all that funding 
pulled out, shoved down into Christchurch. And, you know, most of us put our hands up and said, they need it, all good. However, it then didn't, nothing, nothing happened until it was election time, 2017. I hope I'm right there. And, and it, was, it became an election promise um, to rebuild the school. So we're dealing with um, an area of New Zealand that had lots of its high schools and um, primary schools combined uh, in Helen Clark's last um, term. Uh, by combining them, of course, you all of a sudden had far too many students in too small a space, so they dumped prefabs. And those prefabs have been sitting there since, that, since the school uh, was merged. Um, gradually growing all manners of things um, because of dampness issues and so on and so forth, and just generally degrading. Um, and so as a specific example, we've the school has re-roofed everything quite a few years ago because there was leaking in the in the roofs. And, and what we've what they did was they literally um, they didn't try and actually pull up and replace anything. They, they got roofers in and put a new superstructure over the top of the building, which means over the top of the windows that are on the high side and allow ventilation through. And so now in some of the blocks, when you open windows on one wall, perfectly fine. Windows on the other wall up high, you are, you've, that's not venting anywhere. It's venting into a, into a, a separated ceiling space. And so when you talk about the cracks in, in equity in New Zealand and the issues that New Zealand already has around you know, social investment and investment into things that truly matter, the, the education system being a place where money has just not been spent in the right places or just not enough of it has been spent in the, the last four decades at least, um, this is what we get. We get a situation where rooms don't breathe. We get a situation where uh, there's massive mold issues. We get a situation where basically, um, basically we're making best case scenario, we're having a hard time. And so when you add a global pandemic to we're already having a hard time at best, it, it's, it has huge potential for breakdown. And those communities... Uh, like the one I work in and live in, um, and South Auckland, as Ross mentioned, those communities where there hasn't been the investment that's been necessary, um, at no fault of the people who live there, um, they are going to be the ones that wear this pandemic. They're going to be the ones who come out the other side um, worst off. Uh, it's even it's made even worse for South Auckland, of course, because of its proximity to um, to major international travel. Um, and um, you know cases cases coming out of coming out of MIQ and so on and so forth, um, and the nature of work for many people who live in that community, mm -hmm. service jobs that put them at risk um, of COVID. And we'd already um, seen that happen in the previous uh, Delta cluster. Um, yep, yep. That South Auckland was the community that bore the brunt of that. Um, yeah, because. <laughs> they were coming in contact with it. You know, they're not, they, they can't work from home. Um, they have uh, maybe several generations living in a household. The housing stock is 
uh, underdeveloped um, and under-maintained. And it feels like, well, actually with Omicron, it's going to happen to a far wider range of people. I think I think we can be very clear about that. Given that we have essentially opened uh, the floodgates to Omicron, then you would argue that the, the speed of transmission, the speed of spread, uh, the wealth of the people, the escalating wealth of wealth bands will get impacted more. Um, it's so it's thing, gonna, yeah, go so for it. I was just going to say, it's one thing, one thing I've noticed as uh, podcasts increasingly say, staying, saying what date that they've been recorded on because the situation is moving so quickly that, yep. you know, we're, we're recording this and it's just under 15,000 new cases. And then by the time this is published, it might be over 20,000. Like it's, the, the speed at which this has happened, I think, has caught, has taken everybody by surprise, I think. But it's, yeah, it's that sort of, um, it's the compound of things. And, and the thing that you talked about working from home and things, one of the things that's, that's driven me absolutely up the wall with this pandemic, among many, many other things, clusterfuck all around, but um, this idea that everything happens in isolation. So it's, oh, we need to get the, the white middle class office workers back to work so that they can buy their sandwiches because sandwich shops are important. There's not thought for the people who are on minimum wage who are contracted to clean those offices, you know, like the risk that they are being put under. It's like, no, we must save the sandwich shop. Won't somebody think of the muffins? And it's just this, there's no thought of, of the people who live in people who work in those offices where they go home to like the schools that their kids are going home to the fact that, you know, mum like mum's auntie might be in hospital and might, you know, and is at high mm. risk. It seems mm. that it's all of the reporting has been very classist. All of the, the sort of responses have all, again, this real sort of laser focus on, you know, when can the city center bars reopen again? Like, fuck that. What, that's just it's not an it's not an issue there's more that there was some data released today i'm just looking at it right now like the number of people who've been um you know might have returned a positive test like pacifica make up the greatest number and that's not accounting for population size that's just overall like it's about twenty seven thousand yeah. pacifica twenty six thousand pakia and so again it's south auckland communities it's it's pacific communities with like say that that multi-generational living the shitty housing stock in a lot of cases due to systemic inequity they're working jobs where you can't just work from home because that's not an option um and that sort of but we must push them back to work so that uh you know when can we get the airport up and running so we can go on our lovely holiday again and and just to bring us back around as well um you know when they go into the workplace you know they can mask up they are triple vaxxed um they're able to do that but now their kids are in schools where that's not the case uh where there's not uh location of interest reporting where there's very i've just heard so many competing um accounts of what schools are telling them yeah uh, that's worth talking about communities so so schools have been given um a range of guidance from the ministry of education um i've i've read most of it um because i've been terrified and so um taking a look at it how quickly it's been changing what it actually means um essentially each school needs to create its own plan around 
how it's going to keep the school open. So that's always Wait, so prioritized. that is a baseline. Well, yes, they, they want the schools open. Yeah. So keep the schools open. Um, education can't be impacted by the pandemic. Um, so essentially, the quality of each school's response is up to them. And that means that schools which um, have a ton of resources, schools that have um, significant time that they can invest in uh, coming up with excellent plans, uh, developing uh, steps that they want to take to protect their staff, protect their school, make sure that they've got business continuity in the face of a in the face of a pandemic. Um, they They'll, they'll, they'll be largely fine or they can produce those, but the schools that can't, don't. And the end result for them, I mean, we're not at end results yet, but the my, my uh, view on where we're going is the schools that are time poor or the staffs that are time poor, the, the management teams um, that aren't particularly well-equipped for whatever reason to conquer this challenge, um, the schools that have got less resources to play with, the schools that have got less pushy parents, right, because that comes into it too. They're putting pressure on boards of trustees to make sure that schools have got really good plans, right? There's a, there's a chain here, a chain of influence. The schools that, have, that don't have these, um, these factors in place or don't have these elements in place for whatever reason, they're going to be the ones um, that, Will, will again bear the brunt of um, this decision by government because it didn't have to it didn't have to go this way there were other ways to handle omicron um, but this is the one that we've chosen and so you've got equity issues around what the school feels it's able to do you've got equity issues around what condition the school is already in you've got equity issues around finances and what schools are able to put in place to mitigate the um, the spread of Omicron, and all of those are adding up. A really good example, um, there's a private school here in Wellington uh, teaches young boys. It's, uh, it's called Wellesley. It's in Eastbourne, uh, incredibly wealthy clientele. Um, and, you know, they've got CO2 monitors um, that they've purchased on the, on, the private, on the private market in many of their teaching spaces. This enables them to have an overview of every uh, type of teaching space they have in the school. It gives them a pretty good view of, of, of ventilation across the whole, the whole place. They're able to track risk better. Um, they're able to see it in real time. And they're able to react and say, you know what, you guys need to get out of that classroom. And next week, we need to cut the number of kids that are in that room and they can move and shake and and develop strategies that work. The rest of us can't. You know, talking to a principal the other day who runs a, a, a tiny little school of one classroom um, down south in, in, uh, in the Southern Alps. She's got one CO2 monitor for one classroom. No problem, right? Uh, the ministry has provided their CO2 monitor. Sweet. My school's got 30-something classrooms. It's got one CO2 monitor. And so 
I just, it kills me because it's, it's obviously not a plan that has been developed with equity in mind. Even at the most, at the most basic granular level, you need greater coverage than what they've given us. I think even the devolution of it to schools, instead of saying, here is a, here is the, we have created a yep, set a of standards or a strategy, yep. right? Um, and apply it as best you can, which is still not the, like the best, but it is something as opposed to good luck. Um, <laughs> make sure school stays open. Uh, and some of the stories I've been hearing from, from parents have been told about um, what, like who, who are being referred to as the worried well, who are mm. being told that their children who they are, who are, might be immunocompromised, um, who they're holding back from school uh, are absent without cause. Um, or absent without justifiable cause. You know, and I'm hearing all these kind, and this is apparently coming from either the Board of Trustees or the, the ministry in it's some ministry. cases. It's ministry, the ministry. Yeah. There you go. Um, that's obscene to me, given what we know about the education system and the equity issues involved. It doesn't doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Unfortunately, maybe I'm too black pilled. But when I when I saw that, I I was uh, yeah, that's that feels in in line. There's a couple of things at play here. There's one that uh, a few years ago you might remember there was uh, that big the Tomorrow's Schools uh, report that came out. You know, Bally Hack had written that. Yep. You know, here's here's how we're gonna here's how we're gonna revamp the education right. system and make everything better, and we're gonna we're going to take some power back from boards of trustees and principals and, and have hubs hubs. And uh, we're going to sort of make things a bit more centralized. And the way that it was responded to by the principals who usually get uh, interviews in the New Zealand Herald, you'd think <laughs> that they were going to get taken to like taken to re-education camps or shot. It was or incredible. It was absolutely incredible. phenomenal. Like there's, there are some, there are some principals out there who really hold to that little empire idea there are some extremely um as you mentioned earlier adam there's some boards of trustees out there who are very powerful and have real hold in their communities and the idea of of any kind of decentralization is anathema so that report came out to to lots of noise and then just quietly disappeared as as have so many others over time um and it's that, that but this is what we have now is I can imagine the meeting that was held at the Ministry of Education, whereby, oh well, if we create a sort of blanket, here's what we have, here's what we're going to direct schools to do, then you would get the usual principals and the usual schools pushing back as to how that was not going That's to be right. workable and how they would know better. And what happens over and over again is that it's, it's your Auckland grammars, et cetera, et cetera, who hold the line of what they want and the decile one one a schools the ones that as you said have got 30 30 classrooms and they will be oversubscribed because we already have an issue with a lack of space in our schools and have done for a very long time That's they're right. the ones who are then sort of holding an assembly to see which lucky class gets the co2 monitor for that day it's yeah yeah this again we've we've fucked around and now we are finding out yeah, I, I have to I have to just total talk all that because it's it's so frustrating and it's so obvious. Um, we have had these moments of clarity um, where we realize that um, the board of trustees system of devolution um, of um, governance to each school 
doesn't always bring great results. And uh, in some ways, uh, the hub idea or the, the district education board idea that came out of the Tomorrow School um, review, um, I was sitting in my school going, you know what, that could really help. You know, an oversight over a whole region or a whole area, being able to look at data and look at the needs and say, do you know what? Um, we need to put something here to safeguard this, um, this group or um, this need to deal with it. And we haven't done that. It, it's, it, was, it was fascinating to watch, as Ross mentioned, the, the collapse of that um, review and the absolute, the disappearance of it on the stage. Um, I, I, I mean, you could, we could, we could um, hammer the ministry about that or hammer the Labour Party about that, and perhaps we should. Um, they're trying to move an enormous pile of shit at the moment. When you think about all of the different things that the ministry is supposed to be doing right now, but that one that one probably would have helped right now. It was, um, yeah. And it's a real shame it never got, it never got allowed to breathe, um, yeah. throttled in the cradle, as it were. Yeah, it really was. And it's interesting to me how one of the other things that came through in the last few years, which was the, the Kahuyako, the communities of learning, did. You know, and there was the usual people arguing against it. And that, that did take off in several years on. You do have a decentralized approach to curriculum where you have schools in the local area working together, at least, you know, you'd hope working together to create um, learning that was, that met the needs of, of the community and that, that created through lines from EC yep. all the way up to tertiary. Yep. But when it comes to governance, that was a step too far. And I thought that. One of these has more power um, attached to it. I think yeah, yeah, yeah. part of the issue. Yeah, huge. But again, as, as Adam said, it's around funding. You know, the, a huge amount of money went into forming and maintaining the Kahuyaku. And I, you know, I don't have an issue with that. The, the more money that goes into education, the better. But the fact that you have lots of, you know, lots of, of money assigned to that, lots of time for teachers to get out and work together and collaborate and things digitally now, of course, uh, again, very, very good. But the idea that that could be extended to student well-being just never seemed to to gain any traction and it sort of feels to me that as with so many things if if kids are not in a position where they're well enough to to learn doesn't matter how good your curriculum is yeah yeah i mean back to back to um back to the impact on families um the fact that you have um a significant level of we can argue whether this fear is um realistic or fair but the fear of omicron and the fear of our kids catching it um the fact that that fear exists to the point where parents are wondering whether they should send their kids to school and the lack of confidence that is being shown by parents mm -hmm. in um, school environments tells you enough um so it to me um i'm an educator my kids are at school they go to a good school in terms of I, I basically trust the educators there to do a good job. But I'm still questioning whether having them in school at the moment is a good idea. Um, now, for me and for my family, I'm incredibly privileged. Um, we, can, we, can, we can pull um, 
you know, my wife is self-employed. So, you know, and we can take a hit financially in one area to cover our kids and to, and to provide them with a safe place to be. But that's not everyone's story. And that's not, you know, that's, that's a tiny percentage of New Zealand who are able to do that. And so the rest are being forced into making an incredibly difficult decision or maybe they don't feel like they're even being, you know, they're not even forced to make a decision. They're, they're forced to take a step that they may not want to um, and send their kids to places that, frankly, may not be safe. I want to yeah. get, like, I really want to get into that because, you know, we, when everyone initially, at the beginning of the pandemic, everyone was like, okay, we're working from home now. And we're all unified in that, um, you know, everyone just shut up shop for like a month, yep. um, more or less. Um, again, equity issues were apparent there as well. Um, and there was a real sense that we knew what the risks were, we knew why we were taking the actions that we took. What, what changed this time? What, what happened this time? And, you know, there have been a lot of us saying like, we're basically reading tea leaves at the moment because I'm, I'm not sure we do know yeah. what, what caused it to be communicated so poorly. But as you said, Adam, like the fact that there is this fear, um, whether that's a realistic fear or a rational fear, the fact that it exists and apparently exists like across quite a large number of the, the parent population um, says to me that something has gone seriously amiss. Yeah, there, there's a couple of things in there as well, I think. There's, you know, for a lot of people, school and education still carries a lot of, a lot of pain, a lot of fear. Um, the, the New Zealand education system is, is wildly inequitable at the best of times, and we are far from the best of times. So it doesn't take much. If you already don't have much faith yeah. in the education system to take yeah. care of your kids' well-being, um, mental, emotional, as well as physical, then you're not going to trust them at a time when you have Omicron running everywhere. What's been interesting has been seeing parents, families, whanau, who maybe have had a positive experience of the education system and who have been the ones who've been on board and have been the ones who've been able to turn up for all the parents' evenings and, and what have you and can afford a brand new uniform, suddenly being described as, well, suddenly the mask has come off in some areas. It's this, oh, you're, they're worried well. Oh, these, these anxious parents. And they're saying the quiet part loud now. And there's a lot of people, I think, are realizing that the education system isn't really their friend either. And mm. it's been interesting watching people suddenly have this fear of, oh, is the attendance officer going to come to my house? Are they going to, what are they going to do? And I actually wrote a thread about it, said, nobody is going to come to your house. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> truancy, true, I'm not even going to call it truancy because truancy is the wrong word. Support for young people who have disengaged from education to get them back in is, is so underfunded in this country. It's, it's beyond a joke. Um, if they're not able to come for the families and find and support the families who've been out of education for months, if not years at a time, they are not going to come to you because you've, you're keeping little Johnny at home because you've got yeah. justifiable anxiety. You're fine. You're fine. You're going to be fine. I, I can support that. I was a dean for four years and um, trying to get um, a stable truancy officer just to work in the region was incredibly difficult, let alone have that person actually go and visit Farno and, and chat with them about how they can support getting their kid back into school. The service, as far as I'm concerned, where I am anyway, it, it 
it really almost doesn't exist. And so the notion that that families are going to get some kind of, I mean, you might get a letter, you might get an email, you might get a, hey, where's your kid? But the reality of um, some kind of punitive action, um, it doesn't, it, doesn't, it exist. doesn't exist. And I don't think New Zealand parents need to be worried about that. Um, I've been quite open about the fact that I don't think that that's a risk um, yeah. for people. But it's, it's interesting to me how, yeah, let's say how many parents were suddenly faced with the fact that the realizing that the system was not in their corner mm. and how you could see how how upset people were by that and right you know rightly so i'm not going to be here like well they should come to the ghetto sometimes not that at all but it's that the education system isn't and the the systems that we have around it are not actually designed to support families no they're and institutions they're not, they really are. And part of the reason why I left the Ministry of Education, a big part of it was that I, you know, you never want to see how the sausage is made, but um, being like the tiniest cog in this massive machine and seeing these, you know, the ministry when I worked there staffed with really incredible people who had the capacity to, to make real change and benefits, but because the way the institution worked, they would leave and they would leave burnt out and they would mm. leave. You know, it's like the, I, I, checked uh, according to, to RNZ, um, the, f- the amount of money for student engagement services to get kids back into education across the entire country, the budget for that, because it's put out to tender to, um, you know, other organizations was $10 million. The teacher's council costs $17 million a year to run. And that's to, well, you don't like to provide us all with uh, little plastic cards. Let's not, let's and, not talk about what the teacher's even, council they, does they they're not even doing that anymore, mate. So yeah, no, you're right. They're I'm so under, they're they're so underfunded. It's 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 crazy. Your point about um, your point about people in a, in kind of a basic position of privilege, all of a sudden seeing that the machine doesn't like them or doesn't doesn't care what they think or care what they feel or care about their possibly even care about their kids that much. And I'm not talking here about teachers because I think in, in my ten years as a teacher. Um, it has been few and far between that I have worked with someone that I stepped away from and said, that person's not here to help kids. Very few and far between. And usually that person was gone um, within another six months of my interacting with them. That's not my fault. They just realized they shouldn't be a teacher. So um, I didn't like do something. Touch of death. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, it's those... (laughs) that that's interesting isn't it it's it's a classist thing it's a when you take a look at when you take a look at people saying well hold on a second i have a immunocompromised child i i really don't want them at risk in a school it also becomes an ableist thing to to come after them and say well look you're the worried well uh stop being a dick about this send your kid to school and they're like hold on a second like i actually Mm. i've i've seen kids overseas get hammered by covid even omicron hammered by it and you're telling me you want my kid to be in a school with up to what's my largest class at the moment 31 kids and many of those kids will not be wearing masks properly because they're kids i want to be really clear it's because they're kids but it's also because they're not equipped very well so it's not like the ministry dumped a whole bunch of surgical masks 
yeah. on schools for the purpose of giving out to kids. They gave them to teachers, which, you know, was, you know, cool, but not actually <laughs> that, not actually that helpful. Like, you know, a whole bunch of KN95s would have been, would have been far superior. And we have had time to order those. I'll remind everyone, um, you know, those kids, I think some parents are justified if you've got an immunocompromised kid at home or family member I, and your, your son or daughter is not um, vaccinated because um, they've only just been, you know, just been allowed to have their first jab or whatever the thing is. I think you're justified in, at the very least, contacting your school and saying, what have you got in place and getting a really firm read on how that school's going to handle itself. Yeah. Um, yeah. And don't listen to what other schools are doing because the other thing you realize is that yeah, school different. A and school B <laughs> are yeah. operating completely differently. And that's the big thing that's been a shock for me when I've been um, asking about it online is, you know, you know, how is how are your schools handling this and having teachers and principals come back to me with with very different uh, methodologies for dealing with this with this outbreak and dealing with open schools. We've got Wellington East Girls College, which has got half the um, senior management team rostered home and half at school to ensure continuity of business during a, uh, in case there's a major outbreak, uh, breakout in outbreak, breakout, outbreak in the, um, in the staff room. You've got other schools that are putting some kids on, some kids off. Um, you've got schools that are really firm on social distancing and ensuring kids even in the playgrounds are giving each other enough room or space you've got schools that are still doing pe inside without masks on and so at some point in the 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 way the ministry has handled this we've had a complete lack of consistency seep or get into the, the machinery of education. Um, and, and it all comes down to what school you're at. Yeah. You know, we talk about, we talk about the postcode lottery. No, I don't know if it's well. that. I don't, yeah. I think it's, yeah. I think it's there. Well, it's also, it's, it, it's so many factors. It's, you know, does does the principal have the backing of the the board of trustees? I mean, all it takes is a couple of anti-vaxxers or you know people who, yep, you know, have come back from protesting down in Wellington who are on a board. And there's oh, no, and even that, that is, right? It could just be people who are just like, oh, I own a bar, you know, yeah. like um, the, these restrictions aren't working. You know, we've had David Seymour in the last couple of days say, drop all friend of education. You yeah, know? like yeah. So you might have a couple of people like that. It doesn't. It yeah. doesn't have to be people who are full on anti-vax. But there's, there's, you know, but they, those people are there though. Like, yeah. The, my, so yeah you're saying it I, doesn't have to be that bad. But what we're saying is, but it is they also bad. And, yeah. In my, in my experience of working with boards of trustees and things, it tends to be people who have, as with so many things, it is the squeakiest wheels who get the grease. It, it is people who hold very fervent views on things who tend to have the time and the inclination to get on boards of trustees yeah. uh, um, and, and push for things being done in a particular way. So you might have a school that recognizes the need for stringent measures to be in place, but 
it doesn't take much for that to be vetoed or undermined or moved, you know, if you're in a certain community. It's extremely difficult. And again, it's the removal of that top down. Here's what here's what we're going to tell you to do. And we as the government are going to carry the can for that has now been pushed back onto individuals who are not just it. It's that as someone pointed out, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs continues whether the pandemic is here or not. Like this, people still need to be running the power stations. There still needs to be people doing like trauma medicine and stuff. And it's it's the same in schools, like in some cases right down to the trauma medicine. You know, like kids are still going to need support in various ways. Like they've been out of school and in and out of school now for two years. Like the principals are still dealing with the leaky roof. They're still dealing with that family who's, you know, the Nana comes down and, and threatens them on the front lawn if, if the kid gets a merit, you know, like that all of that is still going on only with the benefit of two years of extreme anxiety and trauma. And now they're having to come up with uh, a good plan to eliminate an extremely infectious disease, which can I say has had the best public relations of any virus I think I have ever seen. Have you ever seen like an illness that has been trailed as being extremely mild and nothing to worry about? Is this is everybody loves Omicron. Yeah. Yeah. So to stay on this point about boards, um, oh, this is this this is ugly. You you can have situations where management in the best of days is having a hard time running the school is actually just hard and New Zealanders need to get that in their heads a bit running schools is is hard and some schools are harder to run than others usually because of some gross institutional inequity that's really impacting the local community okay but you've then said that that's not enough of a job to do I want to give you more. And the thing they're giving you is the toughest job in the world right now. And they're putting it on people who aren't trained for it. And that was a conscious decision. It's not, oh, we thought this would be fine. No, you looked at all the schools across New Zealand and you decided that your approach would be to let it hang. Um, Ministry of Health did a review on postcodes or suburbs um, against vaccination, and they they clearly came out. I shared it with you the other day, but it it shows how closely related deprivation is to to low vaccination rates. And so the schools in New Zealand that probably already face some pretty big challenges in running and in, in, in supporting and in teaching kids and trying to push as hard as possible and lift as hard as, as high as possible and love as much as possible some kids so that they can see the future for themselves and, 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 and find a place where they can be and find a road to success, you're then also giving them exactly as much support as you're giving anyone else, which is to say very little. And if, if the ministry was a place where equity mattered, they would have taken a look at that Ministry of Health data and they would have gone, right, one size does not fit all. It, yeah. One size cannot fit all. And therefore, we're going to design a strategy that fits 
I don't want to use the word weak. I think it's mean, but I, and it's not really what I'm saying. These schools are incredibly strong and these communities are incredibly strong. It's, it fits the hardest impacted community best. And then that will help every other school all the way up the scale of, of deprivation into non-deprived, non the whole way up. But we haven't done that. We haven't created a, uh, a framework that fits the most deprived schools and communities first. And it's going to cost us. And then gone even one further and just not created one at all. Yeah. You know, um, and, and I think one of the other things which has just been, has really, really struck me is that they're asking people to make these decisions. They are in some cases belittling uh, parents who are trying to make these decisions for their children. Uh, by referring to them by any number of monikers, uh, while not providing full information as to where outbreaks are, um, what's happening in the schools necessarily, uh, saying, oh, not everyone's a close contact anymore when previously they were. Um, you know, we're talking about mixed classrooms. Sometimes we're talking about maybe you have a mixed PE class, you're playing on the playground together. No, it's only if you're sitting next to someone. Um, and maybe if you're unmasked. Um, yeah. And... Then again, maybe not, and the teacher's not going to be a close contact anyway, because good luck. And then asking parents to, to make the decision based on that. Yeah. And I was just saying on, on Twitter earlier this evening, like we've we've having these enormous case numbers coming through now, you know, in the in the thousands, heading into the tens of thousands. Um no idea where those clusters are. I, I'm sorry, but we, we just we just don't. And no. for as far as I can tell, though, it's mostly spreading through schools. There's just, I mean, there's nowhere else. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't yeah. know about, I don't know if I, if I, if I 100% agree with that. I mean, there's some pretty good, wow, there's, I'm, I'm not an expert, so I won't say whether they're good or not, but there's some data out of New South Wales, some data out of Victoria, some stuff out of, you know, a few other places overseas that indicates, and, and uh, Dr. Jen Russell um, has been an advocate for reading this research and, yeah. and, and using it in our planning, but that indicates that schools are not any more risky than anywhere else. Now, I, 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 I'm not sure how I feel about that. I feel like in, in some of the example states that are referenced, like New South Wales, we know the quality of their lockdowns or we know the quality of um, social gatherings outside of school. We know that that has been pretty, pretty, you know, uh, controls on that have been lenient and, uh, you know, spread has been, has been significant in social circles. And so using data from a, from a place where, um, students have so many other ways to catch Omicron or catch catch COVID, and then saying that that data applies in New Zealand, where I think people are being naturally far more um, cautious. Well, I don't know. Maybe no. It's just I my mean, family. that's proven. Maybe it's just my family. No, no, but no I that's, think been, that's, that's been proven as well. Um, so yep. David Hood has has consistently shown that New Zealand has one of the better rates of following government mandated restrictions. So if that's true, why are we running a, uh, an education response to COVID that is a complete mismatch um, with our, our space, who we are? 
and who we've proven ourselves to be as a as a nation. Um, it just it it's it seems an odd choice. And I was hoping, I guess I'm not really much of a nationalist, but I was, you know, thank God. But I was hoping <laughs> that, you know, we would track with a genuinely um, Aotearoa flavored response to COVID because, and we're not. And the, and the if we had, if we had said, look, we're going to protect the most vulnerable people in our community. That's going to be the hallmark of our response. That's not going to be a side effect. That's going to be a hallmark of our response. And we said, we are going to live in a way during this pandemic that saves the lives of the disabled, that um, keeps kids from becoming disabled, that, um, God, puts Indigenous lives first. In, 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 in honoring the treaty and in ensuring that um, Māori and Māori health providers have exactly what they want and exactly what they need when they want it so they don't have to shame the Ministry of Health to get the funding for a van or, or something to go and vaccinate their people. If we had, I'm, I'm, I'm actually ashamed that we didn't do that. We had a chance, we had a shot, and it appears that we've just gone baby out with the bathwater. We're not interested in, you know, um, consistent improvement or incremental improvement. No, we're actually just going to be like, you know what? Let it rip because there's too much pressure from bar owners or let it rip because we need to be able to shut MIQ down. Um, and the only way that that will be politically palatable will be if, case numbers outside of MIQ and the general population are high enough. And of course, you know, hey, that's what's happened. Out. And that's what's happened. So I, you know, we, we've had this opportunity. We've had this chance. We've had good people calling us out and saying, hey, guys, wake up. You know, Tairawhiti isn't vaccinated enough because you, you positioned Māori at the end of the queue, not at the start of the queue. And... And still, it will be our kids from the most vulnerable homes, the most, you know, uh, the most affected homes from institutional um, neglect um, and hostility will will be the kids who suffer in the most and the families that suffer the most in this pandemic. And I'm even willing to, like, say, okay, maybe, maybe there is a reason, right? Maybe, maybe there's a reason this had to happen. Maybe it's not just that bar owners put too much pressure on you or that we had to get rid of the MIQ. You know, maybe that's the case. Maybe there's something else. Maybe there's some other information that we don't know about. Want to tell um, us what it is, though? Yeah, yeah please tell us. Um, <laughs> I, you know, maybe it's not spreading in schools. Okay, show us that. Show us where it is yeah. spreading. You know, like, give us that information. Give us that data. Like, we you will, have for two yeah, years. Yeah, we will like, have some data soon. Like, every principal in the country is being asked to record every positive case that occurs or they're notified about, right? So yeah. it's not everyone that occurs, it's everyone they're notified about. So the two different numbers there. And so we will have some data. How good that data will be will be highly questionable, but we will have some data coming up soon that the ministry then has to collate from all of these different sources um, and pull together and clean up because it will be dirty um, to, to then be able to say, well, shit, is this working or not? Um, I mean, the thing and, is that, like, because of the be nature true, right? of it, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, arguably, it already is, 
<laughs> you know, um, there's like after a point with Omicron, we know we, we saw it happen everywhere else in the world. We can't just lock down now. Like it, it won't have the effect that we want. We could maybe put uh, masks on everyone. Um, you know, we could we could have a proper free mask program. Uh, that's you know that would stop airborne spread, but it would take something really drastic to turn it around at this point. Yeah, I think there's a there's a couple of things at play here, and and yeah, as you said, it's there's there's pressure from very vocal people who've got a real stake in the game, but also after the 2020 lockdown. Two and a half thousand kids didn't return to school in Auckland. Mm. And that's in Auckland. That's that's the size of Rangatoto College, just didn't come back. Um, I don't know what the numbers are after the 2021 lockdown in Auckland, but I imagine it would be the same, if not more. So I I get the feeling that at some point a decision has been made around what are the ongoing costs, yeah, costs downsides. Yeah. Around that. And it's it, yeah, like there's Again, possibly very blackpilled here, and I'm not excusing the decisions that have been made, but I don't think there have. I don't think there was a good option here. I don't think there was an option with what we have. You know, yeah. if we lived in, um, you know, gay space communism utopia, when, when, damn it, you know, then the situation would be different. But as it is, like, say we've we've had decades of inequity. We've had decades of, of. Um, like under-resourcing, we've had all of this sort of build up and there was there was never going to be a good a good way out here. Well, do I, I like, think that the, I, do I, I think sorry, that this I wanna, is the least fast? No. I, w- I want to push back on a little bit because, you know, there were, there were two or three very clear mitigation uh, things that we, we could have done. Um, and we've talked about them even on this one, like get masks in schools, yeah. get CO2, um, readers and skills, get get those air filter filters in schools. You know, these are all things that could have been done. Um, we have we have the funding to do it. Uh, we've just given what 140 million uh, to Hospo, you know, and to small businesses. Cool. Mm. I mean, you know, grab some of that. Just like a small portion of that. And you know, we we could even have both. Like it's not it's not yeah. a matter of one or the <laughs> other. But I'm saying this spend has been. Yeah allowed because it was yep. palatable to well, labor in some way 100 100 i mean I, you know i don't want to say uh, this isn't it. you absolutely do not have to <laughs> hand it to them it's just like i say i don't you know they have not taken the best option but i don't think the best option was going to be a particularly good option. no i i would agree with that this this is a, a knife blade uh, that that we're walking down of really unpalatable choices for different people to different tastes. And uh, that's both a political thing and a, and a real thing. Um, but, you know, we've had to, to go back to where this choice might have come from or, or has come from, you raise the cost of a, of a break in education for kids. And that has a much worse impact on kids from low decile schools or from you know, uh, poor socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, it, it's going infl- to inflict more pain on them than anyone anyone else. The number of kids not coming back is interesting. Um, unemployment is really low. Mm. And so for many kids that I've been dealing with, there has been a, there's been a question in their minds as to whether what more they can get out of education before they go and whether this perfect storm of 
COVID being an utter bitch and um, at schools, it sucks. Mm. Um, and the opportunities that are out there for students, some of our kids are taking those yeah. and you yeah. and you can't blame them for it. And then of course there's, you know, um, the association of New Zealand pediatricians or whoever they are, um, the, you know, the official body for pediatricians in New Zealand, you know, arguing that, the real cost here is is um, mental well, you know, m- mental yeah. health and emotional well being. Kids losing months of their education, um, and that and and a couple of other things, but that those are a significant enough cost that schools um, should reopen. And I would argue, sure, you can have schools open, <laughs> but I would say. But could you please have some mitigations? And the mitigations <laughs> yeah. would have included Corsi Rosenthal boxes for every classroom to pick up COVID particles and dump them into a filter. It would be, um, and 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 that's something that the government could have gone on got onto a year ago when we were seeing um, American universities and high schools literally having working bees to put these things together out of cheap um, 3M furnace filters um, that that are at a micron level, um, you know, at a filter level uh, tight enough to pick up, pick up COVID particles made with a box fan and duct tape and a bit of cardboard that could have been part of our mitigation strategy. Teachers would have, Teachers would have gladly spent some time building some filters for classrooms before the year started if those things were available. Try and find them on the open market. They're now, they're now scalpers paradise um, where they're incredibly difficult to get a, hold, get a hold of at a cheap price or at a, even a reasonable price. That Sign- would be one thing. Science fairs would have been really monotonous this year if they'd done yeah, that. Yeah, this is my mitigation. <laughs> yeah. But I think one, one of the things just, just coming off from that, that, you know, so we had the tomorrow schools and that all went quiet. Do you remember the communities of online learning? That was that was being touted a few years ago and how we had a few years ago, there was all of this noise about how learning was going to go digital and how we were going to face it, go into this bold new future and everything. A lot of the people who are making a lot of money off that at the time have gone really quiet. And I thought, surely, if at any point the opportunity for a brand new future of online learning and actually putting some money into the organizations doing online learning that now would have been a good time for that. And instead there's just, it's, I never thought I would say this and I never thought I would say this on record, but where are all the tech bros right now? (laughs) (laughs) It's a good question. I've done some work with um, the open polytechnic. Um, We, we were running a trial at at the high school um, with them. They have a, an actually a pretty good product um, for digital learning, um, where teachers can make their own modules, um, put a whole bunch of stuff together for kids, build their own courses, or use, um, I don't remember if you guys, um, I don't know if you guys use these, but the, the guidebooks that you could buy for each senior subject, you get your level two history guidebook, and it had a whole bunch of different topics in it, and hopefully one of those matched up with what you were doing. And you could, uh, you could, <laughs> basically, you could times. basically not listen to the teacher and then pass the exam. No, sorry. Um, but they own those. And so they own all of the IP and all of the information that's in those. And those are incredibly... Um, they're actually quite rich, but anyway, they're quite a useful tool 
to then do a little bit of online learning and things like that. And I guess what I'm saying is why, why in a moment where online learning could have been incredibly useful and incredibly powerful to children across this country, did we not, did we not, invest in that? Did we not say that's the strategy? Did we not say there are three choices for every school? Choose which one you want to use. We don't need a myriad, but these are the three. Let's go. Um, we're going to fund the shit out of them. And, okay. and we're also going to dump laptops in kids' laps. Now, that, I mean, that, that's the thing, isn't it? It's money. And it's money and making, I guess, the, the government is incredibly shy um, about making commercial decisions mm. and saying this will be the solution and this is where we're headed with it and and I guess picking winners. But in a pandemic, sometimes you need to just pick a fucking winner. <laughs> yeah. And just go, this is what we're dealing with. This is what we're providing. We've got tech support up the wazoo. And um I mean imagine the employment benefits of that. But yeah. you, you know, and kids could have said and teachers could have said, okay, breathe a big sigh of relief. I'm not um, having to develop every digital resource I send out to the kids while also looking after my own kids yeah. while also being tech support for 50 teachers at my school um, and trying to do all of those things at once. That was my job first lockdown. Um, it, could we not have stepped up? Right. And yeah. And also what got what got I what made me hog wild in the last couple of lockdowns as well was seeing the Ministry of Education expect schools to design all the stuff from first principles. Now Tiaho Otekura Punama, the correspondence school, has its centenary this year. Like there is a school that has like six thousand full-time students, up to twenty-five thousand part-time students in New Zealand and and overseas, that is run exclusively online. Like there, the platform exists, the tech exists. You know, Ministry of Education chronically underfunds Takura and has done for a very long time. I'm sure you'll be you know stunned to discover, but it was all there. And instead, the ministry were saying to schools and teachers, as you said, like you've just got to design this by yourselves good luck with that yeah it's just it's, it seems like a, a lack of centralization a lack of funding but predominantly a lack of will to just say okay this is what we're going to do lack of vision yeah. there is I mean? a lack of yeah hey, i'm just i'm aware that we're just um we're running to time um i just wanted to give you the chance adam to uh i don't know say some things. <laughs> well, what, what do you think we can do, like, and, and that teachers can do, and that parents can do at the moment to, um, you know, maybe take some of that that load off? Um, thoughtful, thoughtful face. Um, I can I can jump in if you're wanting to do it, man. To think do about it. it. Um, so a lot of so I I work um, delivering online and an occasional sort of in person counseling support mainly to young people and mainly to young people who are not in mainstream and face-to-face education and one of the things that I keep coming back to at the moment is it's okay to not be okay and the we have to realize 
I'm, I'm going to quote Rodney Hyde here and bear with me on that. Oh, he was talking, come on. Do you have to? Work, no, no, work with me on this one. He was talking about how the, the protest in Wellington is, is normality and how everyone outside oh. of that is um, paranoid and yep. anxious and everything else. And I was like, I hate it when the stop clock is right twice, twice a day because he's right. Inside the protest, you have uh, people who cosplaying like it's 2019 and outside, mm. yeah, everything is weird and anxious because we live in very weird and anxious times. And see, told you I could quote Rodney Hyde and get away with it. Yeah, man, um, I remember back in 2019 <laughs> when I used to throw shit at things. Uh, <laughs> you know, build, build tree forts in Pohutukawa trees on parliament ground. Yeah, that yeah. was yeah. normal. But that, you know, th- we are so far beyond what we considered to be normal a couple of years ago we are so far past that um and that's never coming back and we're currently existing in in like what in counseling we call the concept of ambiguous grief like we are dealing with loss we are but there is no like this person has has died like we're dealing with something a bit more amorphous than that so Mm. there's very little for us to actually latch on to and we're going through a period of trauma and we're still going through it and i think part of the government's response is I really think there was a sense that after Delta, we were done with this and that's not come to pass. What we've got is Omicron instead. And the promise of more to come like this pandemic will be over when it is over and not a moment before then. And if you're a, if you have kids at school, if you're a fan, you know, if, if you're sitting here and you're affected by this, a sense of perspective, like if your kid is so anxious about all this that going to school is diff- is, is just impossible right now, don't send them to school. You know, like take care of their immediate needs right now. Recognize we've got trauma, we've got anxiety, we've got depression. We are going through the, not just the decade defining event, we are going through the century defining event here in Shalom. Mm. And yeah. Yeah, a bit of self-compassion, but also on a system-wide level, recognize that, that, that there are people to be angry at, but principals are doing the best they can, as you said, Adams. Teachers are doing the best they can. You as a parent, a caregiver, a teacher, whatever, you are doing the best you can in circumstances that we are going to be dealing with for the next 5, 10, 20 years. So cut yourself some slack, I guess. You know, mm. your, kid, your kid is not going to be able to learn if they are frightened of dying. Yep. You know, uh, they're, they're not going to, you know, level three NCA, whatever ceases to be a priority at that point, keeping them well, keeping you well, maintaining to the point that in the future they can return to their studies is. So I'm not trying to be like a massive downer, although I appreciate what I've just said kind of is, but be realistic about what is achievable right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a history teacher, so I, I, I point back that way and I go, well, geez, obviously there's something we can learn, otherwise I wouldn't do it, right? <laughs> and, and, well, I mean, that's my take. Um, there's a couple of things that I take, I take from history. One is, um, one is that people have been through this before. And, um, and the other is um, shit today is not as bad as shit has been in the past. And, you know, we're not sitting in some Central Asian nation with Genghis Khan biffing plague-ridden bodies over the walls. Um, so it's not, it's not as bad as that. Give it a week. <laughs> Give it a week. Um, <laughs> and we'll start chucking some stuff at those protesters in Wellington. But it's, 
so so i guess be thank there's an element here of just being gracious and being thankful that it's not quite as bad as that and then the other the other thing is if this has all happened before and of course it's its own perfect unique mix of bullshit but if it's happened before like 1918 and 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 the the spanish uh, flu then let's start learning some lessons from that that's a that's a a four 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 wave influenza pandemic that lasted for four years maybe we just need to get a little bit of perspective and the perspective could be that shit will not return to normal for quite a while and even once it's returned to relative normal we i agree with ross here we're going to remain affected by it for the rest of our lives that's not to say that we should um, accept the worst impacts of it or expect that people should expose us to the worst impacts of it but that it will be something that plays out for a while and 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 this is i guess that this is the this is the challenge of the next 50 years is how do we come out the the other side of this and still have a society that's well let me put it this way try to build a society that's worth living in um you know one of the the one of the unforeseen outcomes of and one of the little known outcomes of the flu pandemic in 1918 or slightly earlier and going a bit longer is is that it really influenced fascism it influenced um it, it increased the number of people so this is fun it increased <laughs> the number of people who were disabled oh. in 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 uh, around the world and and created a, a higher a group of people that others could then use as a scapegoat for societal ills and say these are the these are the useless mouths and what i'm hoping we can do as a as a culture and as a community and as as um a nation as i'm really and as schools and as families and right down to the micro level and right out to the the macro level is i'm hoping that we can foresee some of this potential secondary effects and then say how do we protect against that happening how do we how do we stand with each other um and stand with those who are negatively impacted by this pandemic more than others um how can we love each other um and respect each other and build something here that isn't just what we've always had um so yeah I'm a bit of a dreamer in that respect, but there you go. That's that's my take. That's my take on things. And yeah, parents, if you want to keep your kids home at the moment, I'm not supposed to say this, but I agree with Ross. Um, I think make your own call. No one's coming to the door. Um, there is no Stasi, truancy Stasi, coming to pick you up at three or four o'clock in the morning and tell you off. Um, and teachers in schools, guys, it's shit. We all know it's shit. It's not fun at all. Um, keep making noise. Um, we have a ministry that that many of us don't feel is listening to us right now. We have a PPTA union and 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 um, NDDI that I also don't think is is doing much at the moment. And so I would just 
say teachers and staff at schools um, keep asking questions, um, keep pushing for better, and um, and and maybe we can see the government tweak this as they realize that it's not working and it's broken. And that's what I'd be hoping for in the next couple of days or, or weeks. Yeah. And I'd say uh, that goes out to parents as well. Um, support your teachers, support oh, your education communities. Yeah, please. Um, like if, if you're having these worries, take that to the school, take that to the board of trustees and say, look, we need this to change because yeah. it's the communities that will make a difference here. Um, we can't let teachers kind of take the full burden on their shoulders. Um, you know, that's happened with health professionals, it's happened with teachers, again and again for public service workers. If, if you feel like this needs a community response, let's respond as a community. Yeah. Hey, if um, people want to find you uh, on social media, Adam. <laughs> they shouldn't. I'll get in trouble. No, um, <laughs> if people want to find me, um, God, I'm at, at Hello Motorbike um which is odd i know but that's where i am on twitter um i'm nowhere else i've escaped facebook for the most part um uh yeah that's where you'll find me um say hi i hope that something today has has meant something to you but yeah and russ for those who who don't know you already uh oh. yeah you can. <laughs> yeah i'm uh at that bike dad on twitter uh my partner and i also run uh the the small and imperfectly formed posting cast uh which comes out every weekend so look for us on podbean i think yeah it's on uh podbean and you can find a link to that on one of 200.nz as well under our little friends tab uh so you can uh navigate to it straight through there pretty easily uh, if you've enjoyed this um Go and follow these these two fine folks. Um, let them know that they gave some uh, some good information. Um, that their their words have reached you. Follow <laughs> us, uh, one or two hundred podcast on Twitter as well. Uh, and we've got articles and all manner of other things up at one of two hundred dot nz, and you can follow us there too. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of One of Two Hundred. We'll catch you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Relentless routines The dying embers of your dreams Is the lie aspirational Will you die keeping your glass half full? The relentless routines The dying embers of your dreams Is the lie aspirational Will you die keeping your glass half full? Your nation, you hate nationalism. You don't hate your nation.